So we're talking about peace. And this, this particular discussion was a really easy, simple outline to put together, but it's a really hard one to give because I want to be cognizant of the fact that I am talking to a congregation, whether here in person or, you know, if we post on, on the website, um, that has been going through a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff that's happened in this congregation. I don't know if you're auditing the, the prayer website, uh, the Facebook posts, as I do. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff going on, you know? We have a lot of people who need healing. We have a lot of physical needs. We have a lot of financial needs. We have a lot of relational needs in and around our lives, right? Not just our congregation, but those uh, who we touch. Um, so there's a lot of kind of a lack of peace. And then on top of this, in this uh, sort of difficult time that a lot of us are in, we're moving, right? And there's a transition. And Chris is right, uh, by the way, when he says that, you know, it feels like we're growing up. Because we are. This is a congregation that is very much growing up and learning to, you know, be mature Christians and be a true light in a, in a broken world, you know? So I want to be cognizant of all that because peace is a very difficult thing to obtain to. And we need to be honest about that because there's a lot of lack of peace in our lives, right? I mean, if we're, if we're honest about it, there's a lot of lack of peace, right? Um, so I want to be careful that I don't sort of teach at you today because that's not really the point, right? Um, but we are going to deal with some difficult things. So peace in a broken world, uh, Galatians 5. This picture... Uh, was not an accident. I actually took this um, from the Great Wall. This is the view of the mountains uh, outside the Great Wall of China. So you can imagine if you were an invading army, uh, you got to fight up these mountains and then you got to go over the wall, which the Mongols circumvented simply by bribing a general. Uh, And the general opened the doors and they walked right in. Um, But that's what's going on in the Great Wall of China. Uh, and this is kind of an idyllic picture until you realize that most of that mist is actually probably smog. It's probably just air pollution. Uh, and I kind of like the irony of that for this particular sermon because there's a dichotomy, right? Uh, we're going to talk a lot today uh, about sort of this dichotomy between the goodness of the world that God created and the wages of sin that are in the world that God created. All right? Um, so this is our main verse, uh, as is my want, I'm kind of backing, backing into it, so I backed up uh, to the beginning of the passage. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and then Paul lists them. I've skipped over that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with that Spirit. Uh, We talked about joy last week. This week, we talk about peace. Uh, And because I have a speech and debate background, you get definitions. Sorry about that the way it is, right? (laughs) Yay, definitions! Um, So we actually have two definitions today for one word. Isn't that great? Uh, So peace, the English word that is translated uh, 
into, I think every definition or every, um, every translation of the Bible uses the English word peace here, and that is a correct translation. Um, we are getting that through, uh, through the French from the Latin. Latin Pax, French pay. Uh, it actually comes through Old French, which is not the same as New French, so don't, don't go to Paris and try to speak. They won't know what you're talking about, okay? Um, and means, this is a very classical definition, right? Uh, freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility, or mental calm, or serenity. Uh, very, very much a sort of a classic modern American um, definition and con- concept of peace. And that is accurate. Um, peace from the Greek, however. Um, Galatians, of course, written in Greek originally. Uh, and I wanted to pull this out because this actually helps us understand the passage quite a bit. The Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce the, the original ancient Greek. Um, but it's interesting, this particular word, the word that's used here for peace, really is actually from ancient Greek. Uh, and it has survived uh, and came down like the, the modern Greeks would, would recognize this. Uh, it was actually, uh, so it's, it's transcribed Irene in sort of modern American English speaking um, and yes, that is where we get the name. Irene means peace from the Greek. Uh, and the word that this comes from, uh, Iro, I'm probably butchering that, uh, to join or tie together as a whole. There's a sense of unity. Uh, properly joined wholeness as when all essential parts are joined together. So the Greek conception of peace includes a concept of internal unity, that everything within, within the object that is at peace is functioning according to its designed original intent. Right? So you are at peace when everything inside of you, emotionally, spiritually, physically, is working according to its designed original intent. And with that connotation of peace in mind, we look around the world and we say, yeah, there's a whole lot of not peace happening, right? Because there's a whole lot of things that are not working the way they're supposed to work. Just ask our medical professionals in the room. Hi, guys. Um, I married one, so I have to say that. Uh, so having unity, harmony, and accord, uh, the Greeks also uh, had a connotation of peace as in prosperity, i.e., Peace leads to prosperity. This probably came, uh, came into the language after, or into the conceptualization of the language, really, uh, after the, uh, the, the war with Sparta. So Athens and Sparta had this big conflict, right? Athens eventually wins. Um, they then create a cult to peace, personified by a goddess named Eileen, um, who had a temple in Athens, all right? Um, and the reason they worship peace and the reason they made a cult of peace is because if you have peace, then you can have prosperity, sort of in a geopolitical sense, right? Um, so there we go. Definition. So far, you with me? Any questions? Questions, comments, rude remarks? No. Good. Okay. See, Anna, I asked for questions. <laughs> I also asked for rude remarks, but I didn't get any of those either. <laughs> Jeremy's like, oh, I got that, I got that, I got that. Oh, which reminds me, Chris, Jeremy would, would like... Uh, to make sure that the lease stipulates we get free kimchi? Uh, I think it's already in there. Okay. Just making sure. Uh, peace is not abundant in this world. Obvious, obvious statement, right? Peace is not abundant. I brought with me. See, I was a political scientist in college. Uh, and every so often, so I totally dropped a guitar pick, so sorry about that. Um, Every so often it pays off to be a political scientist, and this is one of those times. So I brought with me a book from my, uh, gosh, it had to be my, like, my sophomore year in college, World Politics, 
And in, in this wonderful handy-dandy reference guide, you get all kinds of maps and all kinds of interesting things, and you also get a list of all of the major conflicts um, that have happened through a period of time. So, um, just to give you a sense. Now, this is just peace in a, uh, obviously, in a geopolitical sense here. And if I can find the right... Uh, Land use and deforestation, energy production, energy efficiency, and emissions, population growth, major armed conflicts. Okay, here we go. So we have five pages of countries, and you can see it's pretty small print, uh, countries that have been involved in major armed conflicts through the years 1990 through 2003. So this is only 13 years of world history, right? Uh, and I, I will read some. I'm not going to read all of them. You're welcome. Uh, major armed, or countries involved in major armed conflicts during that time period. Afghanistan, Albania, Algeria, Angolia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Bangladesh, Bosnia, Burundi, Cam uh, Cambodia, Cameroon, Chad, Colombia, the Republic of the Congo, Croatia, Zaire, Djibouti, Ecuador, Egypt, El Salvador, Eritrea, Ethiopia, France, Georgia, Ghana, Guatemala, Haiti, India, etc., 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 Turkey, South Africa, Rwanda, Russia, uh, Mali, United Kingdom, United States, Venezuela, and Yemen. Right? And there's five pages. I obviously just read maybe, you know, 10%. That would be a much shorter list, and it actually probably would have been nice had they, had they done that. Um, just for us, you know, who had to take a test on that, like that would, be, that would have been nice. That would have been easier. Uh, and it also lists adversaries and, and dates that wars, wars began. And, and again, just to give you a sense, date, war, date the conflict began, 
So it is good. And you guys know the rest of the story, right? Adam, Adam and Eve, who are pronounced good and very good, right? Um, let's see an end of the world. Not good, right? Not conforming with the nature and character of God. And if you want a really, really short definition of sin, there you go. Um, could somebody get me a glass of water, a bottle of water, or something like that? Thank you. Um, so ever since then, we've, we've had a problem. Um, no, no. Yeah, coffee would probably not. <laughs> My wife's offering me coffee over there. <laughs> uh, so ever since then, um, the world's been an interesting place to live in, right? Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, right? So they're no longer in paradise. Um, there's, there's a bunch of consequences. We won't go into all of that. Um, but there's a bunch of consequences to Adam and Eve's decision to let sin into the world, to act contrary, right? So God has a problem. And that problem is that, that God has given us... Oh, beautiful. Look at that. This is service. This is service. First-class service here. Um... The problem is that God has given Adam and Eve authority over a certain part of creation, right? And, you know, he says, look, eventually he, he says, look, I, I give you the earth and everything that's in it, right? So we have authority over this, but we've also let sin into this world. So this creation that started as good, conforming to the nature and character of God, we have allowed to also become bad, not conforming to the nature and character of God. And this is a problem that we've been living with ever since, right? So we have, we have the goodness from creation and from the spirit, right? God's word is still active, obviously, on this, on this planet, and God's word is living inside of us, if we are Christians. Um, but we also have the wages of sin, and the wages of sin, of course, is death. So we have, we have these two things going on at the same time, right? And so ultimately, it's a broken world, and we are broken people, broken people, living in a broken world, bad things are going to happen. Um, Jesus recognizes this and kind of warns us about this. Peace is not abundant. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. These things must happen, but the end is not yet, right? Now, I have left out a key portion of that verse, and we'll get back to that. It comes back. Get it in there. Um, These things must happen, you know? And he's not really just talking about geopolitical conflict, Wars, rumors of wars, these things will happen, particularly timely to us. Jesus, again, I have told you these things so that in me, in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Right? Jesus recognizes that his followers are living in a very difficult environment because... In us, as Christians, we recognize that we should be displaying the fruit of the Spirit. We get that, right? We talk about that all the time. Peace, joy, love, right? Have peace, have joy, be at peace, right? We talk about this all the time, and as Christians, we feel, we have, we have a responsibility somehow in our minds that, man, I've got to live up to that ideal. But we also live in a broken world which does not live up to that ideal, right? And we ourselves are in conflict internally. Paul says, I find myself doing all the time the things that I don't want to do. I find myself sinning even though I don't want to, right? So there's conflict. I painted a pretty dim picture, right? So sorry about that. 
We'll try to lighten it up a little bit here. I'm getting a lot of very serious faces out there. Somebody smile. I mean, you know. Is that that? <laughs> Thank you, Karis. <laughs> what was that? I did. I did make a child cry. I'm sorry about that. Um, I scare children of all ages. It's okay. Um, so experiencing peace in a broken world. Uh, this, okay, it's a little washed out, but it's, it's good enough. Again, did not choose this picture accidentally. Uh, I took this almost exactly a year ago, actually, at uh, Clearwater Beach in Florida is where this, where this is pictured. And I chose this because this is often uh, kind of what we think about when we think about peace, right? We think about a, a situation, a circumstance, an environment which is beautiful, and it was, right? It's at sunset. You've got nice sand beaches. The water was the perfect temperature. The air was the perfect temperature. It was wonderful, right? Um, I was actually down there for training, and shortly after I took this picture, the three of us who were in this training group together, um, you know, we walked down the beach, and then then we went to a bar that overlooked the the ocean and watched the rest of the sunset, and it was just, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful, and obviously very peaceful, right? Now, this is good. Don't ever let anybody tell you that, like, like, vacation's bad, all right? Don't, okay? All of this is good, right? But this isn't really Christ's concept of peace. This is not really Christian peace, fruit of the Spirit kind of peace. This is good, right? But as Christians, we have to go deeper, all right? Um, All right, we're going to skip that note. So how do we experience peace? First, stop looking in the wrong places. Uh, Peace, Christ-like peace, is not dependent on circumstances, other people, theology, philosophy, drugs, or governments. Um, just like joy, right? And you're going to find as, as we walk through these, these sermon passages that a lot of the fruits in the Spirit, there's some, there's some principles that we can apply kind of to multiple fruits of the Spirit. Joy and peace certainly kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and Chris talked about it last week that, you know, joy is, is not necessarily found in our circumstances, that there's something deeper, right? that the Christian can sort of tap into. We'll talk about that. Uh, peace is that way as well. Peace is not dependent on these things. And I, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but this is the... Uh, I, I put all of this on here because these are all things that we tend to look toward to create a sense of peace. Circumstances, right? Whether we're on vacation or if it's our home, the way that we decorate, the car that we drive, the people that are in our lives, the circumstances we surround ourselves with, we surround ourselves with partly because they make us comfortable, right? They give us peace. Other people, same thing, right? How many times have we put pressure on a relationship because we are expecting this person to provide us peace, joy, love, fill in the gaps, right? Theology. And I kind of want to linger on this a little bit because as Christians, we do have the sen- or we do we do we do have the tendency to say, okay. We have the tendency to drop our microphones. Mic drop. Um Hello. There we go. Uh, we do have the tendency to look around us, right? Theologically, we have this idea of what peace should be, and then we look around us and we see not peace, and so we adjust our philosophy, or we adjust our theology to meet our circumstance rather than going to God, all right? And for people like me, Chris is probably 
um, like this as well. Jake is almost certainly, I, I think he's here somewhere, um, Jake is almost certainly like this. We have a tendency to try to find peace through our, through our theology, right? If I could only find the right theological formation, this would all make sense. I do that all the time, you know, just the way I am. Uh, for those of you who uh, are secular humanists, secular humanists tend to uh, look to philosophy, right? If only we could find the right philosophical formulation, everything would make sense. The Greeks were like this. The Greeks turned to philosophy a lot, right? And they also turned to religion. Um, drugs, chemicals, right? I am, especially because I'm married to a pharmacist, not going to tell you, you know, like, like, look, don't take an antidepressant. That's not God. No, that's not what I'm saying, right? But understand that there are obviously chemicals, legal or otherwise, that can create a sense of peace. This can be a good thing, right? There is a time and place for all of these things, right? And God provides through some of these methods, right? But as Christians, these are not our source. And we have to recognize that, right? Um, in my own life, uh, I take a sleep aid almost every night, um, which I'm trying to get to a point where I, you know, I don't need to, right? Um, partly because of the recognition that I know through my time with God, right, that part of the reason that I'm not sleeping well is because there's a spiritual something. There's an intimacy with God in some area that's missing, and that's one reason I'm not sleeping well. That's not the only reason, okay? But I know that in my life that is true, right? So, one of the, so while it's not, it's not wrong for me to be taking a sleep aid, I have to recognize that, look, this is not, if I'm really going to solve this problem, Benadryl is not the answer, right? <laughs> Jesus has the answer, and I don't entirely know what that is right now, but Benadryl is probably not really where God wants me for the rest of my life, right? Um, and governments. Uh, certainly as a political scientist, I can tell you that every, almost every form of government and uh, economic system at some point in world history has been held up as this answer to all of the world's problems. Whether it's monarchy or socialism or communism or democracy, Americans are guilty of that, obviously. Um, capitalism. At some point in world history, uh, political philosophers have been saying that any one of these systems, this is the answer. If only we had a, a revolution, then all of the world's problems would be solved. And of course, as Christians, we recognize that that's just not true. Now, I'm not saying, again, I want to be very clear about this, uh, that we don't have a responsibility to have input into the geopolitical discussions and debates of our time, because we do. Right? And as Christians, perhaps we have even more of a responsibility. Okay? Um, but we also have the responsibility to point within the church and, and externally to the church that at the end of the day, peace is not really coming from the government. That's not the source. Right? Christ is the source. How do we experience peace? We recognize that peace is an active lifestyle. You are here of, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not afraid, for these things must happen, but the end is not yet. Now, this is exactly the same verse before, only it's got that missing, that missing uh, segment back into it. And this is command form verb. See to it that you are not afraid. This is Christ speaking. See to it. And the disciples go, okay, yeah, right? And I go, okay, okay. 
So the good, the good news here is that when Christ uses command forms like this, see to it that you're not afraid. Be anxious for nothing, right? He also gives us the tools. Uh, hold on to that thought. We'll get there. Under the same heading, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, both, both command forms. We are not to be troubled, and we are not to be afraid. So how do we do this? We recognize our full dependence on Christ. I am the vine of life, and my Father is the keeper of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. He pr- uh, remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as no branch can bear fruit on its own, but only if it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. The one who remains in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? We stay close to Christ. We stay in the vine, right? Um, comments on staying in the vine from a man who did a really good job at it, Paul. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way, and in any and every situation, whether living in plenty or want. I can do this all through him who gives me strength. Right? So we look at the life of Christ, uh, and we say, okay, Christ is a lot of things, right? Uh, Christ went through a lot of very disturbing circumstances, you know? Um, Obviously, ultimately, he was tortured and killed on a cross, but even before that, they tried to stone him a couple of times. Uh, He was run out of multiple towns. I have no doubt that he was spat on uh, and insulted, right? Uh, The Pharisees were from sort of midpoint through his ministry on out, out to get him, first to trap him, theologically, and then just to kill him, right? So he's walking around with a warrant for his arrest. The Pharisees are looking for a reason to, like, knock him off, right? Uh, And yet Christ is forever talking about being at peace. I believe this is because of the intimacy that he has with the Father. One of the interesting uh, statements... And, and actually, Chris, when, when we were talking about um, doing this sermon, actually, this was the, the passage that I was thinking about. Um, when Christ says, I only do that which I see my Father do before me. Right? That's an interesting statement. And that actually has a lot to do with peace. Okay? Um, Christ is so intimate with the Father. Right? which is unity and peace, the Greek conceptualization of peace, right? That he recognizes exactly where the Father is and what the Father is doing at any specific time. So when you're in that situation, he knows I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I know exactly who the Father is. I'm filled with the Spirit, right? I'm at peace, I am operating in the anointing and the power and the faith and the love of God. And when you are there, you sort of can't help but be at peace. 
How did Christ stay in the vine? Uh, first, and I think most importantly, prayer in all things. I only do what I see my father do before me. Um, it's an interesting thing, reflecting on Christ's life. Before he goes into his public ministry, he is baptized, right? Um, and the Spirit comes down on him during his, bap- during his baptism, right? So he has an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit from that point forward. The first thing he does is goes off into the wilderness and prays and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. What's he doing during that time, right? He is praying, I believe, he is praying through his ministry and spiritually preparing for what is being laid before him. And he is, um, he is spending 40 days, 40 nights being completely um, united and intimate with God. When he comes out of that, he then has a conversation with Satan, which does not go well for Satan, not surprisingly. Um, And that is a situation where Christ is being tempted by the devil. He's obviously hungry, Um, but he's also filled with the Spirit. He's meeting the devil face-to-face, more or less, and he's at peace because he's so intimate with God. Right? He's so intimate. He knows exactly. And he's quoting scripture. Right? Christ, um, even, when, even when it's not quoted directly in scripture, Christ is almost always quoting, quoting scripture, which is awesome. Right? He recognizes the word. Um, so staying in clear, intimate conscience with God. I will tell you a personal story of a time that this happened to me. I was, this was actually when I was in college, uh, and I had been working at a division of the university, this is at Ohio State, for about three years at that point. And there was a girl that I worked with named Lindsay, um, that none of you know, uh, who was not a Christian, still to my knowledge is not a Christian, but at that time she was seeking, and she would ask me questions from time to time, and she came to a couple of events that... Um, my ministry, my campus ministry had held. Uh, and so one day, this was, this was just before we were all getting ready to graduate. I'm having my time with God, and I'm praying, and I, and I specifically pray uh, for the people that I had been working with, including Lindsay. And I spent some time at it, right? The next day, Lindsay and I happened to be sitting next to each other at a university function. And Halfway through the meal, Lindsay turns to me, and she asked me, a, I don't even remember what it was, she asked me a question about God. And immediately, the spirit took over. It was one of the most wild and interesting spiritual experiences I've ever had, because my brain just sort of went, okay, I'm done. And like, I opened my mouth thinking, like, how am I going to, and just words just bleh, just bleh, just came out. And I, I was like, whoa, and my brain just was like, wait, wait, what? Wait, what's up? I didn't say, I didn't authorize that conversation. You know, I, like, it just, it just came out of me, right? Uh, and this went on, I don't know, probably, you know, a minute and a half or so, we're having this conversation, and the only, the only thing that I cognitively knew about that conversation uh, was that it had been prayed out, and that God... God was scripting this. It was the most bizarre feeling in the world. I knew internally, spiritually, that God had scripted this conversation and that had happened simply because I had prayed it out the night before. Right? 
And it was a wild, wild thing. But those were questions that normally, you know, you, you get asked questions that you're not really expecting, difficult questions uh, about, about God, about your, uh, where you are spiritually, what people are dealing with. And there can be a tendency to kind of like, like I know the Christianese. I can give you the Christianese answer, right? But I don't know that I can give you the, the Christ answer, you know? And there's a difference. Does that, does that make sense? Like, there's a, there's a difference there, right? We spout this Christianese, but we're not necessarily ministering to people, right? Um, Christ ministered to people, and that was a case where I was ministering to Christy, it, or to, to Lindsay. It, it, it wasn't me, right? I mean, I had nothing to do with that. It was just, bleh, spirit took over, right? Um, but it was also one of the most peaceful experiences I've ever had because there was nothing for me to do. God was fully in control, and I'm just like, okay, we're cruising, we're cruising. Um, I also came back, speaking of intimacy with God, from a, uh, this was actually from a, a campus retreat of some kind uh, down in Cincinnati. We had spent, I don't know, three, three four days um, with my campus group just at a retreat. And so we, you know, we do a lot of prayer, a lot of worship, right? And on the way back, sitting in the car, and this completely unnatural, as in not in the world, peace comes over me. To the degree that my brain was like... I would be freaking out about this, except that uh, we're, we're just, we're so much at peace that I, I, can't, I can't freak out about this. It was just, and it wasn't tiredness or exhaustion. It was intimacy with the Spirit. And it was the, spirit, the Spirit's presence. And for, you know, once in my life, remember, high anxiety guy, uh, I was in communion. I was in the place of communion with the Spirit, and I was at peace. And it was wonderful. And of course, then I stepped out of that union, and there wasn't peace, and, you know, here we, here we are, right? Uh, but glimpses, right? We get glimpses of this in our lives. And this is just part of the journey. It's part of the fun. So communion with the Spirit, knowledge of the Word, right? Remember the Word, um, well, the word is God, right? The word is powerful. We need to stay in it. Uh, and I say all these things. I want to make sure that in saying all these things, I don't sound too Christianese, right? Because I recognize that we all have very real issues in our lives. And so my encouragement is to take these very real issues in our lives and have them out with God, Right? It is okay to say to God, I do not have peace in this area. It is okay to say to God that this event that took place in my life or someone else's life seems really unfair and seems really, it's broken, it's a mess, and it's hurting, and it's painful. And it's okay. And we have to do that because we can't experience peace unless we're honest with God about what is not giving us peace. And if we don't know what that is, it's a very simple prayer at that point, right? Jesus, please help me see the areas in my life where I'm not at peace. Do I have anxiety? Yes. Check. Why do I have anxiety? I don't know. Jesus, why do I have anxiety? Right? 
that is me all the time, okay? I, I go through that, you know, every day, right? And I'm slowly learning to give every little thing to God and to have it out with him, every little thing. But these can be major things, too, because we are broken people. We're broken people living in a broken world, and so we're wounded. And it's okay. It's okay to be wounded. That is where we are. We have to take that to God, and we have to be honest with him, and we have to have it out. So my encouragement is, is don't, don't be afraid to wrestle with God. Right? The great spiritual influences in the Bible all wrestled at some point with the identity of God. Right? Abraham, the whole Sodom and Gomorrah incident, right? Abraham goes to the throne room and he basically says, yeah, this whole destruction of the city thing, forgive me, God, but it doesn't really seem like you. Uh, Will you spare the city for a hundred guys? A hundred honest people, right? And he talks God down, you know? And obviously the city is so corrupt that, and even though Abraham talks God down, it's still going to get destroyed anyway, although Lot is saved, Lot and his family, partly because of Abraham's influence, right? But Abraham wrestles with God. Abraham also wrestles with, with God's identity, right? He goes, and he is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, which to him would not have seemed unusual because the pagan gods of that time in that area of the Mideast, this was the sacrifice that was required, your firstborn son. Right? So if you really want to get in favor with the gods, you sacrifice your firstborn son. So Abraham is, is getting ready to do this thing, right? and God stops him and says, more or less, who do you think I am? That's not me. Don't worry, I'm not that God. You don't have to sacrifice your firstborn son. Oh, and by the way, I have a replacement. Go look in those bushes, right? Um, Jacob, obviously, famously wrestles with God and wins, sort of. That's a whole other sermon, okay? Um, But he gets God's blessing. He gets his blessing, right? God, I am not leaving here without your blessing. And dang it, he gets his blessing. He almost gets killed in the process, right? But he gets his blessing. Um, Don't be afraid to wrestle it out, right? Because there will be things that happen in our lives that as Christians we say, God, seriously? Like, do you even love me? Is this really happening right now? That will happen, and that's okay, all right? Um, Active faith, practicing the word. The word is not to be read and then dismissed. And Christ, obviously, the master of this, being, being the personification of the word himself. Active faith, right? Actively seeking and practicing the word. However we know how. Don't, don't make it super complicated, right? Don't make it over-spiritual, Word says, "Be honest, be honest." You know, like it's. I think I think as Christians, we we tend to make things more complicated than they need to be, and we talk a thirty thousand foot perspective on Sunday, and then we go out there and we don't have any way of relating that. Just do what we know how to do, right? Um, teaching and mentoring others. One of the best ways to find peace and love and joy in our lives is to take our minds off ourselves. That's also part of practicing the word, right? Um, but it really is, it really is a very good way um, to achieve peace in this world.
All right? Um, and I have a comment here, just kind of in closing, from John Piper. Uh, he, he did a really kind of an interesting write-up uh, of, of some of these passages. And he is, in, in this particular passage, he's reflecting on right at the end of Christ's life. Um, you know, Christ is talking about giving his disciples peace and joy and faith, and he's concerned about his disciples and his followers behind them. You know, these, these are prayers, obviously, for us as well. Um, and Mr. Piper has the following things to say. Peace, joy, faith. This was Christ burning for his followers the night before his suffering. It's amazing. Look at verse 27. Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Joy. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. This is what he is aiming at just before he suffers. I want you to have peace. I want you to be deeply joyful. I want you to believe in what I say and what I do. I want you to have unshakable faith. I want you to have the kind of peace that I give, not the kind of peace that the world gives. The kind of joy that I give does not come from the world. The kind of faith I give is not of the world. That is the practical outcome of these verses. Indeed, the outcome of that night, this suffering, this persistence, this gospel. Now, suppose the thought enters your mind, as it does the mind of of many, that all of this seems subjective. It seems emotional, individualistic, socially and culturally and politically lame, disconnected from the great public the systematic, the global crises and injustices, calamities of our time. Suppose that's what you think when you hear the Lord of the universe spend his last night before death building peace and joy and faith into the hearts of his followers. Here's my response. Pick your crisis, your injustice. Poverty with all of its internal and external causes, the devastation of drug addictions, white-collar corruption like Ponzi schemes or nepotism or money laundering or planned obsolescence or redlining or embezzling or insider stock movements or bribery. Or pick ethnic and religious battles, like the Burmese against the Christian Kachin, or the Nigerian Muslims against the Nigerian Christians, or the butchery in Syria. I ask, where do these things come from? Where do these human impulses come from that drive all of these destructive behaviors? They come from hearts devoid of the peace of Jesus Christ, and the joy of Jesus Christ, and the faith of Jesus Christ. But where that peace, and that joy, and that faith hold sway, these behaviors are overcome. And I thought that was really interesting, right? Um, At the end of the day, we will not have peace, we will not have faith, we will not have love, um, unless we are intimate with Christ. So that is ultimately my encouragement. Um, And that's it, that's all I've got. I'm out of notes. And we're back to the beginning slide. So um, does anyone have any questions? See, Anna, I asked again. And you don't have a question. If you're going to ask to be asked questions, you should have a question. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know what's supposed to be happening now, so I'm just standing here, sitting here. (laughs) Karis, you want to come up and do a little dance, make some hand signals, something? No? Ah, would you like me to pray? I will pray. I can do that.
<laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this time together and your word. And we thank you that your word is living and it is active and it is real. And you are living and active and real in our lives. And I, Father, I pray for everybody in this congregation. Um, and I pray that we would find peace in our circumstances, whatever those circumstances are, good or bad. And I pray that we would find joy. Um, and I pray that we would learn over time in everything we do to represent the goodness and graciousness and love of your nature and your character and your being. And Father, I ask that we would be intimate with you. Father, I ask that you would continue to work healing in this congregation and in the lives of those around us. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. We are meant to be whole and in union and at peace with you. And Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you took care of every obstacle to that on the cross. And Father, I ask that you would help us to overcome our own insecurities, to come to you, to be real with you, to experience and accept your healing. And we thank you so much for your graciousness. You are a good God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be stepping into a time of communion together. We know that communion is a time when we as the body of Christ remember what it is Christ has done for us. We follow him in this practice, for he is the one who called for us to partake in it, and he instituted it with his first disciples, right? So we know that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he blessed it, and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. As we, as followers of Christ, remember the joy, the love, the peace, everything that he has given us that surpasses understanding as he provides this for us, as we remember just how good he is, we're also called to remember the sacrifice he made on our behalf. And so whenever you're ready to do so, please feel free to remember what your Lord has done. Walk up this way if you wouldn't mind, grab a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then return to your seat. At this time, we want you to know that we offer what is considered an open communion, meaning anyone who is a part of the body of Christ, regardless of creed or confession, is welcome to partake with us. And so please feel free to come, remember your Lord, and celebrate him with us together. <laughs>